We are in the middle of a series called Doing Emotions Well, Lessons from the Psalms. And I started this series with a basic premise, with one basic premise. How we handle our emotions has a direct impact on the quality of our lives, relationships, careers, and faith. Emotions are not this secondary thing that just kind of happen in life. Emotions have, how we handle our emotions have a direct impact on the quality of our life, relationships, careers, and faith. They matter. That's why we're talking about them. That emotions matter. And in fact, the Bible isn't the only place that talks about emotions. This is one of the core premises, the core ideas of this concept called emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence. And we, in the Bible, we've got this book called the Book of Psalms that is full of emotion. It is the, it is the single most emotionally intelligent book in the Bible. It's practically a handbook of how to do emotions well. So we're spending a few weeks here reading and looking at some psalms. And so this week, I wanted to do something a little different. That's why if you were wondering why the band's just been awkwardly sitting up here for the last five, ten minutes here, yeah. So, yeah, they're like, (laughs) okay. Because I actually wanted them to stay up here because one of the things about psalms is that many of these psalms for the ancient Israelites were actually used as hymns. They had musical accompaniment. Some of them were even sung. I kind of envisioned their sort of poetry, spoken word, song kind of stuff. So I thought I would read today's psalm, which is Psalm 30, and have them accompany me. And I'm going to read through the whole psalm, and and you're going to hear music. And I'm going to try to give a little bit of lyric to this to give you a sense of how these psalms might have been used in the life of ancient Israelites. Okay, so this is Psalm 30. You can follow along on the screen. Um, And imagine, imagine yourself kind of way back in ancient Israel, maybe 700 BC, and we're in a temple, and instead of guitars and drums, they've got lyre, which is sort of like a funky-looking guitar, and maybe some drums that they're bongo-type things they're playing on. And, And then one of the priests comes up and reads this to you. I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only a moment but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, Lord, I called. To you, Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I am silenced? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. 
You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever. So what do you think? That's a little of how I envision this stuff. Psalms has life. Psalms has heart. Psalms has passion. And that's why, that's why we're teaching out of Psalms here. So let's give these guys a little round of applause for that. Thank you, guys. So today we're talking about happiness. Last week we talked about sadness. Okay, we talked about a certain type of song called Lament Psalms. So this week we're talking about happiness. And now some of you are happy right now. I like that. That's great. Okay? Some of you are happy. So that poem, that hymn really resonated. It connected with you. But some of you aren't very happy right now. That's okay. Some of, you, some of you might have rather been here last week for the lament. <laughs> Let's talk about sadness. That'll connect with me. But some of you are just sad this week. Maybe it was a rough week. Maybe tragedy struck you this week. Okay? But one thing I can tell, one thing for sure, I can guarantee this. Everyone in here at some time in our life is going to be happy. Unless you're totally emo, okay? Then you're, not, you're never going to be happy. Okay? But all of you at some point in your life are going to be happy. You're going to experience happiness. Which means we need to know how to do happiness well. We need to know how to do happiness well. Now, you might be thinking, okay, how on earth could you mess up happiness? I mean, look at Snoopy here. How could he, how could he do this wrong? How could you mess up happiness? you might actually be surprised, okay? And the answer is right there in the psalm. I don't know if you caught it, but the answer is right there. The, the, in the question of how do we mess up happiness, it was right there. We're gonna visit back to it in, in case you missed it, okay? But it is entirely possible to mess up happiness. So this, this particular type of psalm is called a thanksgiving psalm because it's about giving thanks. And typically these thanksgiving psalms were written and spoken and said when you've come out of a lament psalm. So let's say like last week we talked about that the guy was most likely sick, he had some long-term illness, and let's say he, he found healing. Then he ended up on the other side of the illness. And then he would sing a thanksgiving song. Now this one particular, I, I chose this particular type of psalm, this genre of psalm, because it matches really well with a Hmong Ovanchucha party, okay? Okay, you know, like someone gets sick, someone has a baby, someone buys a new house, anything like that, so you, you throw, you want to thank God, so you throw a party, you get all your family over there, and you cook giant trays of food, and, and, and then someone gets up and, and shares how thankful they are for, that God brought them out of something, so when, when you think of a Thanksgiving psalm like this, think of an Ovanchucha party, okay? But think of the best ones, not think of the ones where the guy just like droned on for an hour, okay? Don't think of those ones, okay? Think of the best ones you've attended. That's a Thanksgiving psalm. So, so we're going to talk about two big components to doing happiness well. And these are two key components to Thanksgiving psalms. 
So the first one, the first one is, the, so is there are three big themes in a Thanksgiving psalm. First of all is looking at the past. Okay, part of a Thanksgiving psalm is looking at the past. Here are a, few, a couple of the verses. You lifted me out of the depths. You turned my wailing into dancing. Notice the past tenses here. So there's this sense of looking to the past. Okay, that's the first big theme. The second big theme is the present. So the present, listen to this. Sing praises to the Lord. Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Notice present tense verbs. So it's talking about the present. The third big thing is, you can kind of take a guess on this one, is the future. Listen to these. I will, I will exalt you, Lord. Lord, I will praise you forever. Notice the future tense verbs. So contrary to your high school English teacher that said you had to use the same verb tense throughout your entire essay, this guy has all three verb tenses throughout, kind of mingled throughout this psalm. Because part of what giving thanks is, and part of ha doing happiness well, is remembering the past, staying in the present, and envisioning the future. And if you've ever been to one of those parties where, where the, the husband or the wife or an uncle or an auntie, or, they start talking, and they seem to spend all of their talk, time talking about how miserable things were or how sick they were or how bad their, their son or daughter was, and they spend like, like 20 minutes talking about that and then like two minutes talking about the present. You ever heard one of those? That's someone who has it kind of lopsided. You want to be balanced. You want to look at the, the past. You want to look at where you were, the sorrow and the sadness, the lament psalm from last week. You want to look at that, but you also want to look at the present to see where God has taken you today. Now, and for some of you, that today might be, I'm only kind of out of the past, but I'm not all the way out yet. And then you want to look to a future. You want to, you want to envision, you want to dream of a future where God is meeting your needs. God is feeding you. God is healing you. What would that future look like? So you need to stay balanced between the past, the present, and the future. You know, th there's a saying in church planting. So we're about a year and a half, maybe a year and three quarters in. There's a saying in church planting. They say, never get too excited over your largest attendance or too depressed over your smallest. And, and that's true, because we've had some large attendances, and we've had some pretty small attendances. And it's really easy to think, yeah, River Life is doing awesome, and then, oh my gosh, we suck. I'm terrible pastor, okay? So, but, that, but life is kind of like that, okay? Never get too excited over when things are going well, but never get too depressed when things are going bad, Okay? There's some balance between the past, the present, and the future. So that's the first big characteristic in a Thanksgiving psalm about doing happiness well. Because a lot of times, if we get out of something bad, you know what a lot of us want to do is we want to forget that bad as quickly as possible. We're like dropping that like a bad habit, okay? And no, we need to remember. We need to remember where we were because then we could truly appreciate where God has brought us and what he has in store for us, okay? Past, present, future. 
Now, let's talk about the other, another characteristic. And this one is actually the big one. This is the big one. This is critical to doing happiness well. In fact, this is the way to mess up happiness. The whole past, present, and future, you can still do happiness pretty well if you sort of forget the past, how bad it was, or maybe you're just more present. I, I tend to live a little bit more in the present. My wife loves to live more in the future. I don't know where you love to live, but so that's okay, okay? But this is how you can mess up happiness. This single characteristic, if you get this wrong, your happiness, believe it or not, could actually be destructive for you. Now, I know that feels impossible. There's no way that could happen, but it's true, okay? So let me read you a few verses, and notice, try to notice anything similar about these verses. God, I called to you for help. You spared me from going down to the pit. To you, Lord, I called. You clothed me with joy. Do you see a pattern here? All of these are God-centered. Notice, God, I called to you for help. You spared me. To you I called. You clothed me. In fact, this psalm is relentlessly God-centered. Okay? Relentlessly God-centered. There are only 12 verses in this psalm. God is explicitly mentioned 24 times. Okay, in 12 verses. This author knew how to do happiness by staying relentlessly God-centered. So to him, and it was most likely a male, we don't, we don't know. Um, this, th there are some scholars who believe this was written by David, but we're not entirely sure, but it's fairly sure it was a male, uh, so it was a man. Um, so this author believed that everything, his past, his present, his future. It was from God, to God, because of God, centered on God. 24 times in 12 verses. So let me ask you, when you are the happiest, when you are the happiness, the happiest, where is God in the picture? Where is God in the picture? Are you relentlessly God-centered when you're happy? Or do you tend to turn more to God when you're sad and when things go bad? Um, there's an interesting pattern that I've seen being in ministry, my wife and I in ministry for a, a while, and there's an interesting pattern that we see that, especially now that I'm pastor, okay, that, that people will reach out to me, people I haven't talked to for six, eight months, all of a sudden something goes really bad in their life. Guess who they're reaching out to? <laughs> they're calling pastor. No one calls pastor like when they get a raise or, or when their kids are doing well and happy and well-adjusted. No, it's when there's crisis. And I think we can kind of treat God like that. We can treat God that when, when things are going well, it's pretty easy to kind of put God to the sidelines. It's pretty easy. Now, when things go bad, oh, we're calling on God, all right. <laughs> Lament Psalm all, all the way. But when things go well, it's pretty easy. It's kind of pretty easy to forget about God. Okay? Now, granted, we might give him lip service. We might do a thank you here and an amen there. But, you know, you kind of know in your heart you're putting him on the back burner. Okay? 
it's really easy to forget God when things are going well. You get that raise and you think to yourself, I've worked really hard for this. Your kids are doing well in school. So you think, we've been parenting really well lately. Or your health is good. You're in good shape. You're strong. And you think, this takes lots of discipline. I work hard to have this body. It's really easy to forget God when we're happy. Now, you don't believe me? It was actually right there in the passage. The, The author of this psalm warned us how easy it is to forget God when things are going well. And it's right smack dab in the middle of the psalm. Remember I mentioned 12 verses? Verse 6 is one of the biggest lines. Verse 6 and verse 12 are actually the biggest lines in the psalm. So I'm going to read verse 6 and 7 again. So this is verse 6. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. So right there, right there is the biggest risk of happiness. It's the biggest danger. It's the most likely place where you and I are going to go wrong. And it's in the very first line. When I felt secure, I said I will never be shaken. Let me read it to you in the NLT, the New Living Translation. It's a little looser of a translation. When I felt secure, I said, oh, no, sorry. Um, Oh, that's the wrong one. So, oh, well, we'll stick to the NIV. I pasted it in the wrong verse in there. So, but when I felt secure, I will never be shaken. Listen to that. What that is saying, what that is, that's Denzel Washington saying, King Kong ain't got nothing on me. You know that scene? It's on top of the car. Okay? When I'm strong, I'm unbeatable. When I'm healthy, it's because of me. When I'm successful at work, I'm the rising star. But then the author turns the the tide there, and he says, you know what? It isn't about me. Look at the next two verses. Lord, when you favored me, You made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. Because we tend tend to say things like, I did this, I got this, I'm strong, I'm in control, I will never be shaken. That was Denzel's flaw in, in the movie Training Day. It was his pride. He thought he could never be shaken. And that that tells us, that gives us the clue of the risk of happiness, and it's this. The risk of happiness is relying on God less. The risk of happiness is relying on God less. Now, don't get me wrong. I love happiness, and I believe happiness is a good thing. I believe that Christians should be some of the happiest people in the world. Again, overall, we've all got our sorrow. We've all got our miserable times. Let's, let's embrace those. Let's feel those to all of their horror. <laughs> but let's remember who God is and what he can do for us, the amount of love and forgiveness and grace that he can give us. But the risk of happiness is relying on God less. 
Because when we're happy, it usually means something good has happened. And when we start attributing that good to ourselves, that's when we mess up happiness. That's when we mess up happiness. So believe it or not, happiness can actually move you further away from God. I've seen it. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in countless other lives. Okay? Now, the solution for that does not mean let's be miserable every day so we can rely on God. Okay? That is a terrible solution. Don't do that. But what it does mean is that in our happiness, we can remember what the psalmist remembered. That it's all about God. Whether we're happy or sad, turn it to God. God is the one who's giving you that raise. God is the one who's raising up your kids. God is the one who's giving you talents or success or whatever, whatever it is. Maybe it's just a nice warm day and you're tired of the rain. Thank God for a nice warm day. Because the biggest risk in happiness is relying on God less. So I want to be a congregation that's happy. I want to be a congregation. I believe, again, I believe as Christians, we should be happy. We have more reason to be happy than I believe anybody in the world. Okay? And, and if you're not a Christian and you know some Christians, if they aren't happy, general, and again, I'm not, sorry, I'm not saying we don't, that Christians always have to be happy and put on the fake smile. No, that's not what God calls for. Okay, but if you if you if you ever known some Christians who are the scowly, frowny Christians, they're just like this the whole time. Praise God for all He does for me. I hate frowny, scowly Christians. See, I'm like seriously. Okay, so I I believe that that in general we've got great reasons to be happy. Okay, because we can turn to God and say thank you for. Fill in the blank. Thank you for filling the blank. Whatever it is you're thankful for, make sure to get yourself focused on God. Because happiness, I, again, I love happiness. I will take happiness over sadness any day. Okay? Some of you might like sadness better. That's, that's your thing. Whatever floats your boat. I like happiness. Okay? I will take it over any day. But I am constantly pushed for myself to remember God in being happy. Because I don't know about you, but for me, I know this, this might sound really bad from a pastor, but it's actually really easy for me to forget about God. Like when things are going well and I'm productive and I'm working and the pool's clear so I don't have to clean it and, and the dogs are behaving and, I, and I'm, I'm like, all right, let's go. And it, it could be like six hours later, I'm like, oh, wait, where's God in all of this? <laughs> I have to work to keep God centered in my life. And some days I do that better than other days. And in happiness, it's really easy to rely on God less. So how do you do happiness? How well do you do happiness? So for you happy people right now, it was a, maybe it was a good week or a good morning. <laughs> you slept in, you got, a, you got a double espresso, so you're really happy this morning, okay? Remember, think of your past, think of your present, Think of your future. Stay balanced because we, we all know in the blink of an eye, the misery of our past can become the sorrow of our present. 
And we also all know we all have sorrow waiting for us. We all have hard days ahead of us. We all have some happy days ahead of us, but we've all got some hard ones. So that's why it's important to stay balanced, okay? And then lastly, no matter how well it's going, or how not well it's going for that matter, but no matter how well it's going, stay relentlessly centered on God. Because I would never want to see my happiness or your happiness actually move you further away from God. Because then we'd be sad again and we'd lose our happiness. So stay relentlessly centered on God, especially when you're happy. So one of the things, one of the ways we do that, I think a good way, if you've come around church, one of the good ways that we can stay relentlessly centered on God is this thing called communion. It's something we do around here about once a month, and it's a way to remember what Christ did for us. So this thing called communion is a remembering service. It's a way to remember that Christ died for you and for me. That he shed blood for us. And that his body was beaten and broken for us. Because God wanted a relationship with you. He wanted a relationship with me. But because he is holy and we are sinful, we can't have that relationship. Sin cannot exist in the presence of a holy God. So God had a plan that that he had from the very beginning of time to say that I'm going to send my son, my one and only son, to die for the world that I love so that they can be with me and I can be with them. 